Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. Have you ever wondered how couples go from being on top of the world in love on their wedding days to signing divorce papers years later? Well, I do. And rarely does it happen overnight. It's more of a slow, steady drip. To quote writer Anais Nin, love never dies a natural death. It dies because we don't know how to replenish, replenish its source. It dies of blindness and errors and betrayals. It dies of illness and wounds. It dies of weariness, of witherings or tarnishings, but never a natural death. And so the thing is, is that the truth is known about what makes love die. And in fact, it's actually fairly predictable, which means doing the opposite can keep your love and marriage alive. So writer and relationship expert Kyle Benson is here to share those actions. So Kyle, thanks for coming back on the show and talking about what I think everybody needs to know. Yeah, thank you for having me. Because you wrote a piece for the Good Men Project titled, The Death of Love Isn't Natural, The Seven Steps to Separation. And you actually talk about how this drip, slow drip, what I call, you know, the death of a thousand cuts happens in relationships. So if you're okay with it, let's just jump right on in. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to skip the first step for now, and we're going to get back to it and ask about numbers two, three, and four, and those are escalating conflict, cycles of conflict, and emotional flooding, which I think are all connected. So Mm -hmm. what's going on here, and how does one lead to the other? Right, and so kind of what um, where this kind of step process comes into play is uh, Dr. John Gottman um, has spent 40-plus years um, observing couples interact and sometimes following a, a couple for 12 to 20 years and seeing how the mm-hmm. relationship either deteriorates or improves over time. What his, okay. research and his, his research and his research team was able to find is that they could predict with a 90% accuracy which marriage, would, which marriage would fail and which would succeed. And one of the things that really stood out was how couples dealt with conflict mm-hmm. was a big indicator of how well their relationship would survive or kind of start to die. And one of the things that uh, Gottman found in his research is within the first three minutes, he could predict how well a 15-minute conversation could go. And so what that looks like is 96% of the time, if the conversation starts negatively, it's uh-huh. going to end negatively. It's very hard to turn a, a negative conversation into a positive conversation when we start with criticism, blame, kind of what Dr. Gottman calls a harsh startup. So that is like, you know, like you never make time for me. All you ever do is work and you stay at work all the time and you always spend time with your work buddies. No wonder we have problems in our marriage. Like that is a very like <laughs> harsh attacking yeah. statement, right? Right, yeah, sign me up for that conversation. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so 
really kind of what's going on is the, the, the person who's kind of bringing up this complaint is really hurting, but how they bring it up actually kind of sabotages them being heard and them getting their mm-hmm. needs met. So one of the first things we see is that the conflict escalates or how conflict starts is it starts harsher, not gently, and often that causes a cycle where we get into a conflict where when one partner, right, in kind of step three, they start with criticism, right? They kind of attack their partner or blame them for that. That partner often kind of responds back by being defensive and saying, well, no, I'm not that bad person you see me as, or you know what, if you think I'm bad, well, look at what you've done that's bad. Um, uh-huh. And it just causes conflict to get worse and worse and worse. And what Gottman found in his research is over these four behaviors, criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling, if those become a habit in the relationship, that the marriage will end in less than six years. And that's really what wow. Gottman found is that, right, when we're really critical of the person we love, it almost guarantees they'll be defensive. Um, and then we just get caught in this kind of find the bad guy cycle uh, and the more we try to find the bad guy, the more disconnected, the more frustrated and alone we feel. And it's almost like we kind of, even though we're hurting, we end up hurting our partner and, and we get more and more disconnected over time. So it's a really vicious cycle. Does that make it sense? It is. Oh, ab- a- absolutely. And, and, it's, you know, and, and if you ask couples, they can actually describe that cycle if you say okay what happens first and then what happens they're they're aware of the cycle they just can't they just have mm-hmm. no idea how to get out of it exactly yeah and that's and that's what's hard is because once the cycle gets started we often really get caught in the the movements of it the, the dance per se or right if you uh-huh. start with criticism i'm going to start with i'm going to reply with defensiveness and you're going to get defensive back and i'm going to get defensive back and around and around we go uh it's really rare unless we have someone who's helping us map out that cycle and go, okay, this is our cycle. We need to take a break, right? We need to go take a time to kind of fl- like get the flooding out of our system and then return and have a different conversation, um, which actually so goes can to you, kind of that step. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, can you define what's meant by emotional flooding and, and how it shows up in these, in these cycles of conflict? Yeah, so emotional flooding uh, is typically when we um, get so emotionally overwhelmed um, that literally our, our neocortex, which is the part of our brain that can see another person's perspective, can problem solve, has a sense of humor, literally goes offline because our brain goes into fight or flight mode. It goes into survival uh-huh. mode. Um, uh-huh. And so when our partner gets critical or we get something that feels like it's threatening emotionally to our bond, an internal alarm goes off and kind of prepares our body to fight, flee, or freeze. Um, uh-huh. And so we, that's where we become really critical or that's where we shut down emotionally. Uh-huh. Um, and what happens on the inside is, and this is what Gottman's research found is really fascinating, is the person who's really flooded is their heart rate's actually over 100 beats per minute. Um, you might not see that on the outside, particularly someone who's stonewalling and who's really shut down. Uh, mm-hmm. But on the inside, they're very activated. They're very overwhelmed. Um, and when you're overwhelmed, you cannot hear what your partner says, even if what they're saying is, is, is like 
going to help calm you down. It, literally, your brain is so in the sense mm-hmm. of protection mode that right. you can't actually connect with your partner. And so that's really kind of what flooding is, the sense of being overwhelmed, feeling like you're in, a, you're in a state of threat and you need to find a way to survive and that your partner <laughs> kind of becomes the enemy in that moment. Right. And, you know, and this is one of the things that, you know, that so, so that, that old adage of don't go to bed angry, it's like, oh, my God, please don't try to have a conversation when you're, when you're tired and angry because, first off, it's not going to be a conversation. It's going to be a fight. And then you're going to be up all night. It's, you know, but, but people, you know, it, it's really hard to let go when, when you are in that emotional state, you know, because, mm-hmm. because literally, you're, you're right, the body thinks I'm under attack, I have to do something, when actually, right. you know, <laughs> the best thing is, no, stop, don't do anything. Right. Which is where, which is really kind of where um, couples get into trouble. They know they need to stop. But because they're feeling so injured, one, like some person's style when they're feeling injured, they want to process, they want to repair, they want to talk about it right away. And the other partner wants to shut down and go away. And right. often those two kind of get in a dance where the partner who wants to talk about it kind of pokes, pokes, pokes the partner who wants to shut down and not deal with it in the moment. And they go round and round. And when I'm working with couples where I see this kind of emotional dance happen when they get flooded, we really work on creating safety and make it okay mm-hmm. for them both to take a break. And what we talk about is we do a hand signal or a verbal signal that says one of us is flooded, we're getting mm-hmm. into our cycle, and we need to take a break. And we're taking this break because I love you, because you matter to me, and I don't want to cause any damage to our relationship. Right. Um, and so we kind of really make that overt. And then we ask, I kind of ask his partner, what do you need during this break to – Remind you that your partner is on your team, that they're doing this break for the benefit of the relationship. And so sometimes that might be a text message. Sometimes I've had partners write love letters that are like, hey, I know I'm on a break, but I just want you to remind you that I love you and I'm taking this break for this reason. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to kind of get in the sense of we're still connected, you still matter to me. Because often that's what I find is the underlying issue of the partner who feels like they can't take a break. Is there right. a sense of the relationship's over um, and uh, I can't calm down because I'm terrified that when you leave, you'll actually never come back. Mm-hmm. So you said something a little bit ago about um, somebody trying to make a, you know, trying to come back to their partner and, and you know, make things right. And so that, I think, is what you're talking about in step five about not just that you, you call that a repair attempt and step five in the death of a marriage or the death of love is failed repair attempts. So mm-hmm. what, does, what does that look like? I mean, you described this one person who I, 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 want to, I want to make up with you right now, and the other person is like, well, not ready yet. Um, mm-hmm. So that would fall under a failed repair attempt. I'm, I'm assuming that there are other ones. Yeah. So essentially a like a repair attempt can be anything, right? It can be um, a smile. It can be, I'm sorry, or it can be as direct as like, Hey, I really didn't mean that. Here's what I meant. Um, Mm -hmm. 
it's anything that's kind of saying, hey, let's restart this conversation. Um, but what a person does is important in how they repair, but re what really matters is how the repair is received, right? And so uh -huh. if my, my partner and I are disconnected and our, our emotional bond is really weak, if I try to repair and there's been years where I haven't repaired and I've ignored my partner and left her in her pain, she's going to probably have a tough time accepting my repair attempts in the moment. Um, okay. And so I can do those and those can fail. And that's what Gottman's research really found is that couples who repair are able to have a stable and happy marriage down the road, whereas couples who don't repair well, even if they have a repair attempt, the repair uh -huh. attempt fails because the other partner is either emotionally flooded or they feel like their partner doesn't care about them. And so they don't really hear or respond to the repair, which leads to them ignoring the repair, which then uh -huh. leads to more conflict escalating, um, more of a partner shutting down, more disconnection, um, and they kind of get farther and farther apart. And so really what Gottman's research found is that repair attempts in conflict are related to how well the couple's, how strong the couple's friendship is. So uh, oh, how well a couple knows each other, yep, like how well a couple knows each other, how well a couple turns towards each other, how respectful they are towards one another. Mm -hmm. When those things are going well, it's so much easier when you feel like you have a, a strong friendship, a connection with your partner for you to accept a repair attempt because there's so much kind of positive connection there. But when, when you feel like your partner doesn't care about you, you feel like your partner doesn't know your stressors, doesn't want to ask about that, that your partner won't turn towards you, uh -huh. it's going to be really hard to turn towards your partner's repair attempt in a conflict conversation since you're already feeling so alone, you're already feeling so negative. Does that make sense? It it does, and it explains a lot because – and and it reminds me of a lot of times where I hear – you know, um, one partner say, well, yeah, they said they were sorry, but they just really want it to be over. And, you know, they're right. not, you know, they're Bingo. not real. And to me, that's that, that's that failed repair attempt. And I'm, I was also thinking about, a, you know, a, a fight that my husband and I had many, many years ago when our kids were relatively small. And it was, it was over something incredibly silly. And, you know, mm -hmm. the kids, you know, we, we happened to be in our garage and the kids, you know, their eyes were like, saucers because they never saw you know we don't fight very often and my husband's repair attempt was he, he threw a nerf football at me and mm -hmm. and it did it just broke the tension and, and we both just started cracking up but that yeah. you know, that was just like okay stop you know, this is ridiculous stop it but he didn't say mm -hmm. that he just chucked the football at me um, right, and, and and even though he chucked the football at you instead of you going okay he's now getting more upset you saw that as a repair attempt, and you received right. the repair. Right. Right. And, you know, and, and, so, and so it's really interesting how these things build on each other. And, mm -hmm. and just so, I don't want to call it subtle, but it actually is. It's like people, you know, it, it, it's, even though this, is not a, this has been disproven that frogs will jump out of water as, as the temperature goes up, but it's that idea of, you know, things are just gradually getting worse without anybody really knowing it. I mean, they, they can feel it's not good, but they don't have any idea how it happened. 
But this is a really mm-hmm. good explanation of exactly how this happens. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it really is. And, and if you look at the sound relationship house designed by Dr. Sean and Julie Gottman, the first three levels are the first level is love map. Second level is fondness and admiration. Third level is turning towards versus turning away. And we call those first three levels the friendship system. If those are going well, we tend to have a more positive perspective of our partner in the relationship. We tend to, it becomes a little bit easier to manage conflict, depending on if we don't have those four horsemen. And it makes it so much easier for us to have positive repair attempts because we feel connected. We feel like we know our partner is there for us and we feel our partner cares about us and respects us. So it makes okay. a big difference. And yeah, they totally build on top of each other. Okay. So I want to let people know that this is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking with writer and relationship expert Kyle Benson about how love dies in a marriage. And, you know, maybe you're experiencing this in your life and are hurt or scared by it. It's like watching a train wreck in slow motion. You see it happening, but don't know how to make it stop. Well, it can, but most likely not with the skills that you currently have. The way to hold on to your love in marriage is to learn new skills, and I can help with that. So if you're ready to take real and productive action, give me a call or send me an email and schedule your free, no obligation, create your happily ever after discovery session. You can reach me by email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S coaching and is in Nancy C is in Charlie.com or by phone at 919-924-0463. Again, 919-924-0463. And I want to get back to some more of the steps. And so now I'm going to go back to step one, which Kyle, you say is lack of emotional support. And then also mm-hmm. includes step six, which is a negative love story and step seven, which is detachment. So I, mm-hmm. right before the break, you were kind of touching on these, and I think you were touching on the, on the um, reverse of them. So can you explain what they are and, and what makes them problematic? Yeah, so kind of that step one, a lack of emotional support. Really, if we take away kind of often the, the topics that people fight about, um, mm-hmm. I, I guess the better way to put it, there's a, a famous uh, psychologist, Dan Weil, uh, who um, works with couples, and, and one of his things is every relationship problem has two problems. It's the actual topic, and it's how we deal with the topic, how the couple yep. approaches the conflict. Um, mm-hmm. Often what I find is it's not always so much about the content as it is about the sense of can I trust that you're there for me? Can I trust that you are on my team, right? And one of the mm-hmm. things I talk, I hear a lot about when I'm working with couples and we're getting them to feel more close and more connected is I hear a lot of partners say, well, now I feel like you're on my team. I feel like we're together, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a sign that they're feeling emotionally supportive. They're feeling more connected. It feels like their partner is there. And Sue Johnson, the founder of uh, Emotionally Focused Couples Therapy, kind of the core tenet of attachment theory from her perspective is this it's kind of this big question is, are you there for me? Are you accessible for me? Are you responsive? And are you engaged? Um, Uh And when a partner does that well, we feel secure, we feel supported, we feel connected. 
and and usually the, the the marriage does pretty good but when that isn't there that's when uh-huh. our insecurities start to come up we start to fight a lot more we have less affection we're less emotionally responsive and it starts this cascade down to more escalated conflict down to you know those nasty conflict cycles and more emotional flooding and then kind of those failed repair attempts and as all that stuff starts to happen more and more we start to it's almost like in our brain uh, the light that switches on that has this beautiful image of our relationship and our partner all of a sudden switches off and it's like our relationship is now viewed in this dark light like where even our, our past memories actually get rewritten from a yeah, lens of this relationship thing. is yeah yeah, that's you. That that that's where you get couples to say, "Well, I never loved this person." I'm going. I bet mm-hmm. if we went back and looked at your wedding pictures, that wouldn't be a true statement. But but it is because mm-hmm. because people are in so much pain that that they can't they can't even access any any positive memories. Exactly, and what happens is their brain literally goes into what we call negative sentiment override where all it focuses is on negativity. And mm-hmm. some interesting research by Robinson and Price, they discovered that when a couple was unhappy, the partners viewed neutral and sometimes even positive interactions as negative. And from outside observers, they noticed that those partners who were unhappy actually missed 50% of the positive moments of connection, right? And wow. so when this, this negative sentiment override takes over, it causes us to actually look for more evidence of what negative and actually miss what's positive. It's almost like a confirmation uh-huh. bias, right? Yep. And this is one of the ways we kind of protect ourselves from trying to, to deal with the sense of we're struggling and we don't know what's going on. But ironically, it actually causes us to kind of feel more, kind of more sabotage in the relationship because we actually miss moments that can start to get us from going down this cascade. Does that make sense? It does, and it sort of explains that five-to-one ratio of positives to negatives because if we actually miss half of the positive things, we actually need twice as many to be able to actually even see that they're happening. So this actually explains, explains a lot. But how does – so is that how it leads to detachment? That it, Detachment is like a protective thing that I, I just – I can't let you near because it because it hurts too much. Yeah, I mean it's a sense of complete despair, right? It's a sense of I've tried to reach for you, you're not available. We've had all this conflict, right? I get um, you know emotionally overwhelmed. We can't repair. There's no hope for us here, right? Our marriage has just been a lie. It's never really worked, right? That's the rewriting of the, the story mm-hmm. of us. And we just really get to this place where we feel so hopeless, so lost that we actually literally unconsciously detach from our partner. Um, and um, literally you're like, okay, I'm not going to connect with this person. I'm done with this relationship completely. And it's, it's something that is really heartbreaking, but it happens when all yeah. these steps happen. Yeah, go ahead. So, I mean, yeah, and I've seen that. I mean, and you hear this. And I mean, even couples who come to me who, you know, who want to try to put things back together, there, there is this sense of, I don't even know how that's possible, you know, and, and I tell them right. that's my job is to hold that hope. But, but, mm-hmm. you know, because, 
you know, their their whole view is is colored in this certain way, and they've gone down into this, you know, narrow everything's bad, which you you certainly understand. I mean, it's it's part of, it's our brain's way of protecting us. But mm-hmm. so you know, we're talking about it, and so this is a perfect time because so if somebody is there, if somebody is like, you know, I have this negative view of my partner and our and our history. I don't feel supported. Um, we, we're in these cycles of conflict. Is it actually possible to turn it around? Is it actually possible to rebuild love, even if it's been years of this slow death? It, it is. Um, and, and as long as we get it before detachment. So detachment is literally mm-hmm. the brain giving up and saying this, this relationship is not going to ever work. Uh, mm-hmm. And literally it's, it's great. Like they, they, the person literally shuts off the attachment bond with that person. Um, and, and so you can tell there's a difference when a couple shows up and one of the partners is fully detached because there's, there's just no, like when that partner's hurting, the other partner is not as impacted. Um, Uh you just can tell there's just a sense of detachment of, right. We're totally separate now. We're not bonded. Um, mm-hmm. but, but before that, yeah, there's a lot, right? And, and one of the things, particularly even if we start to have a negative sense of an override, I mean, a lot of couples I work with, they have that, right? I have them take the Gottman assessments. They have negative sense of an override. Their friendship is struggling in some ways. They have conflict they haven't been able to resolve. And they just feel really stuck. And we start to uh-huh. kind of chip away at that. And, um, yeah, it's definitely possible um, to really start to rebuild the relationship and save it uh, when we put in the effort and start to work towards reconnecting and figure out new ways of being with each other that help us feel closer, more connected, more emotionally supportive, more engaged, uh, rather than a sense of I'm always going to get attacked, I'm not enough, or I don't matter mm-hmm. to you, right? Mm-hmm. That's really what what kind of needs to happen. Well, and and – it's interesting because some of the things that you're saying um, really need to be like spotlight to, to, tell, to tell a couple or even just one member of the couple that this is a serious problem because I, I run into this all the time where, you know, there's this period of conflict and then things, and then things get okay, right? Um, and a lot of times that's interpreted as we're, we're good when it's actually mm-hmm. the, the, the one person has just started the detachment process because it is kind of what you say. If, if somebody is completely out, it's, you know, it, you can't shock them back into, you know, <laughs> in, you can't shock the marriage back into life because, because it's, it's flatlined. And, and I think right. people see that and, and I will tell people you know that the opposite of love isn't hate the opposite of love is apathy I don't care exactly. anymore and so exactly. that's what I think people need to be paying attention to is you know I mean and and I get it you know um a, a lot of a, a lot of you know couples work has gotten a really bad name mostly because a lot of couples wait too long and, you know, one, you know, one partner is out. So, you know, it's blaming the, mm-hmm. you know, blaming the professional and it's like, no, 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 <laughs> Yeah, you know, we could, you know, 
we could only do what we work with. But but the average is the average still because I know Gottman has done a lot of studies about this. Is the average still couples wait six to seven years before seeking help? Is that still is that still valid? That statistic. I don't know if it's still valid. That is a pretty old. That was done before the 2000s, um, uh-huh. and I am not aware of any research that's retested that. Um, but I don't think that's as valid. And I think Doherty, uh, Bill Doherty, and some of his research team um, actually proved that that has left now, or it's different now. But I can't okay. remember the statistics. Um, okay. But it is. I, I don't think. I don't think most couples wait six years, but. Some do. You know, some wait 12 yeah. years, right? But the, ideally, the sooner you can get support, the better you're going to be able to stop going down this cascade and rebuild your relationship. Um, so, yeah, it, I, my yeah. hope is that it's changing, but I'm not, <laughs> I, I, don't have re, I don't have research to validate that, that I'm right. aware of at this and, moment. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and the thing, and what I want people to, to understand, I mean, is that there are people like the Gottmans, like you, like Bill Doherty, that, like me, that this is what we focus on. Now, I don't do the research, but I certainly, you know, um, read the research. And you, the, the fact is that things can be turned around and the help is out there. And, you know, my, my personal opinion is that everybody needs, should have to take a Relationship 101 class before they're allowed to graduate from high school just to understand hmm. just the dynamics that you're talking about so that we – because the Gottman, like you said, they've been doing this for 40 years. They know what, what works. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and my goal is, is to help get that information out there so that people know, you know, you don't have to wait until your marriage is on its deathbed to try to do something about it. In fact, that's actually right. the worst time to try to do something about it. Um, so, Kyle, can you share where people can get more information from, from you, from the Gottmans, so that, you know, they have a resource that they can go and it's like you, your, your marriage doesn't have to slowly die. Yeah, so you could follow my stuff at kylebenson.net. There's, uh, I think, almost 200 articles on that website, um, uh-huh. which kind of talks a lot about this stuff and tries to take the research and put it in a very practical, easy-to-understand format. Um, also, uh, the Gottman Institute at Gottman.com. Um, gosh, I think they're almost to 700 articles now. Uh, they yeah. also have a new thing called uh, the Gottman Relationship Coach, which is a brand-new service that Dr. John and Philippe Gottman created that I think is some of their best work, uh, and that mm-hmm. is a nice supplement to working with a therapist or a coach and, and just learning how to be different with one another, how to talk during conflict, how to rebuild your friendship, and strengthen your bond. And so those would be some of the top resources I would recommend. Okay, Kyle, thank you so much. And, you know, the good news is that habits are learned, even relationship habits. So this means they can be unlearned and better habits can take their place. But you can't keep doing the same thing and expect things to change. That's been called one definition of insanity. And Dr. Phil says that the only thing worse than being in a bad relationship for five years is to be in one for five years plus one day. So... How long will you stand by and watch your love and marriage die? I'm hoping that you're not going to wait another minute. I'm hoping that you'll keep listening to this show. And until next week, stay loving.